This summer, when the sun's down, turn up the fun at Cedar Point Nights. The ultimate after-dark beach party is every night from July 29th through August 21st. Dance with throwback DJ sets, challenge your friends with beach games, or just take it easy at fire pits lining Cedar Point's legendary mile-long beach. Then enjoy the new Lake Erie Luau, a food experience like no other. For a limited time, get park admission, luau tastings, and parking for just $69.99. Only at cedarpoint.com. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. This week, we are covering probably the most famous act of the uh, the 20th century. So, I think most of you will have heard of this. Most of you will probably remember where you were the day this happened, if you were alive to remember it. Uh, we are talking about Lee Harvey Oswald. Now... Many Americans will obviously be well aware of this man, know a lot of things about him. Um, And we did cover a little bit about him when we covered the JFK episode uh, a couple of years ago. Now, I made a point when we were doing the JFK episode not to cover things like the conspiracies and not to go into into Lee Harvey Oswald um, and details about his life because I thought it warranted its own episode and and the point of the previous episode was to really focus on JFK. So, we will talk about the man that fired the shot that changed American history forever. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a US Marine veteran. Uh, He was a sharpshooter in the Marines and he assassinated John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States, on November the 22nd, 1963. He died two days later um, in another assassination um, and never made it to trial. And this is where all the conspiracies come in, where, you know, was he paid to do it? Who had a hand in it? Were the FBI involved? The CIA involved? I've heard stories about the mafia being involved. Israel being involved Um, and we'll go into some of these conspiracy theories uh, later in it in in the show or in all intents and purposes was Lee Harvey Oswald just a very bitter American who had you know suffered badly during the uh, Korea the war in Korea um, defected to Russia and just really took up communism and he was just a a bit of a nutter um we'll talk about all of the theories and and things like that and i will allow you guys to to make your own decisions on whether lee harvey oswald was a 
cool, calculated uh, commie who killed his president or whether he was bought and paid for by uh, someone else or whether he was actually the man who fired the shot. See, that's another conspiracy that he actually had nothing to do with it. I'm not sure I buy into that one, Um, but, you know, we'll leave it up to you guys. So, Lee Harvey Oswald, born on the 18th of October 1939. He was born right at the start of the Second World War and grew up at a time where America really was... Um, becoming the powerhouse that we know. He grew up at the the transformation of America. Um, We always say after 1941 um, and America realising the potential they have as a country to really push their industry to the limit, um, the expansion from America. He grew up in that time where America was really booming. So Lee Harvey Oswald had a very rocky upbringing. His father died two months before he was born, and in this time period in New Orleans, which is where he was born, um, it was very difficult for a woman to make money on her own. Um, there were obvious choices for for jobs, um, and I don't need to explain those to most of you, but his mother couldn't afford to look after him she couldn't afford to look after his older siblings um in fact she uh sent all his older siblings off to boarding school and tried to drop lee harvey oswald off at an orphanage um the orphanage wouldn't take him okay so at three years old he was too too young to be accepted into the orphanage um so his mum kept him for another year and then shipped him off to an orphanage He then had a very rough upbringing for the next sort of 10 years or so, bouncing around from orphanages to orphanages, sometimes going into foster care, sometimes going back to live with his mother once she found somewhere to live. Um, And then when she lost her accommodation again, he would then go back into care. So he had a very, very rocky start to life. And at 12 years old, he moved back in with his mother and they made the cross-country trip from New Orleans, Louisiana, all the way up to New York City. His time in New York City was not the best, as I'm sure we can imagine. He moved to the Bronx. Now, the Bronx has got a bit of a reputation, um, and unfortunately... As from my own experience, New York City is an extremely expensive place to be, which required his mother to work extremely long hours and have very little time to care for him. In fact, they said at 13 years old, Lee Harvey Oswald had moved 20 times in his life. I haven't moved 20 times in my life and I'm 31 and I don't live with my parents, so... To be 13 years old and have no real stable home and no real stable family life, um, I can imagine it's not a nice experience to have. And this showed with him quite a lot. He was he was regularly truant from school. He was quite an aggressive child. He he threatened people. Um, he was known to to be quite a violent kid when he was at school um, or for the very limited time he actually attended school he became so 
disinterested with society that he was actually sent to a psychiatrist. And believe it or not, Lee was not diagnosed with any psychiatric disorder. He was just a poor kid from the Bronx who had nobody to look after him and nobody to keep him in line. So he was just labelled as a poorly behaved kid and no more. Later in the year, in 1933, June the 19th to be precise, there was a very famous execution in New York City, and that was of a man and woman named Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Now, they were executed by electric chair, and they were executed for treason. They were handing secrets, American secrets, off to the Soviets, uh, which was a big no-no. And with this, there was a lot of protests in New York City. There was a lot of what I would call lefty losers or lefty liberals um, or socialists out protesting um, and saying, you know, this was wrong and you shouldn't be executing people. And there was a lot of leaflets that went out at this time. A lot of socialism uh, leaflets were passed to many, many people, and one of them got into the hands of a young, very impressionable Lee Harvey Oswald. And he started researching up on socialism and communism and decided that that was the best way for him to express himself. He believed that Karl Marx and the Marxism... Uh, was correct and that socialism was the right way forwards and America had got the entire political system wrong. The following year, 1954, Lee and his mother moved back to New Orleans. They moved back to the French Quarter of New Orleans, which is a very famous place now, but in the 1950s was not so glamorous, shall we say. It was a back alley um it was not a nice place to be um and it uh, you know it, it stemmed to quite a lot for lee to to grow up again in in quite a seedy area of new orleans he had a connection to the new orleans mafia through his uncle his uncle's name was charles moray um, and he was linked with that uh, and it was linked later in his life he was linked with the mafia um, in regards to the JFK shooting. In 1955, Lee decided to join the Marines. He was a year too young, but he lied about his age to get in. Once he was found out, he was rejected, obviously. The following year, 1956, Lee Harvey Oswald joined the US Marines. So Oswald joins the Marines to try and get a bit of stability in his life trying to get a bit of guidance somewhere for a direction for him to go he still has these marxist socialist ideas but he believes that the marines can give him the, the grounding that he's never had in his life so he joins the u.s marines sent off to camp sent off to serve in japan whilst he's in japan he then gets sent to the philippines and he then gets sent back to the u.s so yet again, Lee Harvey Oswald is moving around and is not settling in one particular area. He's not getting the stability that he craves. 
Unfortunately, during this time, and I will say unfortunately, but he learnt how to be very, very accurate with a rifle. He became a sharpshooter for the US Marines, and he was also court-martialed for owning and using a banned pistol. This pistol injured him as it uh, discharged, and he was court-martialed. During his court-martial, he got very angry and attacked the sergeant doing the court-martial, and was then court-martialed again. So, not a great experience for him. Um, kind of resented the Marines to a bit. Um, you know, they he'd gone there on this promise that he was going to get this stability to his life, that he was going to get this founding, uh, and, and it didn't happen, you know. And to make matters worse, he then got punished for for owning a weapon that obviously was banned, but you can see where the resentment towards the United States is growing in this man's in this man's life. Oswald learnt Russian. He was very good at it. He still carried on learning about socialism, about communism, and in 1959, Fidel Castro took over Cuba and became the first communist leader in the South Americas, or in any of the Americas for that matter. And Lee Oswald was in a situation where, in the middle of the Cold War, he was preaching to other Marines about communism, and he was also learning the language of the enemy. These should have been red flags to his drill sergeants and superiors in the Marines, but nothing happened, nothing was escalated, and no more was really said about it. Lee Oswald left the Marines in 1960 and boarded a plane to Great Britain. When he got to Great Britain, he then boarded another uh, another plane to Helsinki, which is in Finland, and there he applied for a Russian visa. A tourist visa nonetheless, but still he applied for a Russian visa and was granted it. I do apologise, it was 1959, not 1960, that he crossed into Russia. But he now had his, his foot in the door. He actually defected to Russia in October 1959. Now, we make the assumption that Russia welcomed this ex-US Marine with open arms and were biting at the bit to get their hands on information about the Americans and how they, they fought or any, any information that they could get would be useful. In reality, that's not how it worked. He applied to work for the Kremlin and they basically said no. There was no, they weren't interested uh, in a shitty Marine who never really did anything and was not really that important. They just they just weren't interested in what he had to say, um, and this this really affected him. You know, this is a a young guy who believes now that he's found his calling in life, and that is communism, and he is going to become this poster boy basically for communism. And the communists don't want him either. You know, his mum didn't really want him. His dad died before he was born. He had no stability growing up, moved from house to house, one end of the country to the other. Um, he's joined the Marines. He's got no stability in the Marines. 
he argues constantly with his superiors. He's court-martialed. He decides that the one place where he feels that he will be accepted is communist Russia, and it turns out that they don't want him either. The resentment from this man is strong, and it's just getting worse and worse. In fact, it got that bad for Lee that towards the end of October in 1959, when his visa ran out, he slit his wrists in the hotel bathroom. He went to hospital, and when he was fixed up, made better, he was interviewed again by the KGB, and turns out that they still weren't that interested in him. So they fixed him, but the damage to this man had already been done. Psychologically, he just wasn't there. He wasn't happy with this decision, obviously, as I'm sure we can imagine. And he stormed into the US Embassy in Russia, uh, October the 30th, 1959, and said, I am leaving. There's my US citizenship. I want nothing to do with the United States anymore. And I'm going to go and tell the Russians all about the US radar codes and all the secrets that I know. And the Kremlin had to sit up and have a look now. He pretty much forced their hand and on January the 4th 1960 they accepted Lee Harvey Oswald as a communist of Russia. So things are looking up. Lee Harvey Oswald has finally got what he wanted or has he? Realistically he's a nobody to the Kremlin. In fact they didn't care about him at all. They cared about him so little that they sent him to Minsk. Now, if anyone's seen Minsk, I've seen more personality in a bowl of porridge than I have in Minsk as a city. He was sent to Belarus, and needless to say, he didn't enjoy his time there. He did have a pretty decent life as far as Russian standards go in Belarus. Um he had a, a pretty good job. He was making radios for the Russians. He was sort of a celebrity there as well. The The city of Minsk wasn't used to seeing many tourists. It certainly wasn't used to seeing Americans. Um, a man who'd been uh, discharged from the U.S. Navy, uh, U.S. Navy, sorry, from the U.S. Marines um, as undesirable um, was not you know was not something they saw every day he was very he was very well liked in the area um, and he became very popular this doesn't last very long you know this popularity it wears off over over a bit of time and he started to realize where he was he started to realize that actually he's in the middle of a cold war country it's very drab and dreary He's getting watched every second of every day. There are people watching his every move. His apartment's bugged. He can't go anywhere. You know, he's got money, but he can't spend it. He starts to realise that, actually, communism, socialism, is not not really that great. Um, and he starts to petition the US to return he starts petitioning the USSR to allow him to return as well the problem he has is 
he is entering a United States that is very different from the United States that he left. He's entering JFK's United States, a country that is buoyant on basically electing its first young president, a president who looks like he's going to change America for the greater good. He is one of the first Americans who it doesn't fit the norm of a president. He's someone different. America needed this in the 60s. They needed a president to come out and change and shake things up. And this is what JFK was. He was someone completely out of the box. Um, and he was young, a charismatic, a good-looking man. It was something America wasn't really used to. But that's why he won the election. And this was the America that this American-hating ex-US Marine was coming back into. It was around this time that Lee met his then-girlfriend, later to become his wife, Marina. He decided to stay in Minsk for a little bit and uh, sort of court this, this young lady. There are rumours to suggest that she was linked to the Russian state um, and that their meeting was not a chance but it was orchestrated nonetheless they ended up getting married and they had a child together um, a daughter called June once he had his little family he realized that America was the only place he needed to be and he petitioned very hard to get out of Minsk and get home he sent a petition to the head of the Royal, oh, the Royal Navy, sorry, the U.S. Navy, John Connolly, um, to help his petition to get back into the U.S. And in response, John Connolly sent him a leaflet, and that was it. Um, this obviously infuriated Lee, and left him in a position where he decided that his number one enemy was going to be. John Connolly. Um, his grudge stayed with him for a, for the rest of his life. He was allowed back into the US uh, on June the 2nd, 1961, because he never actually surrendered his US passport or his US citizenship. Now again, this is where some of the theories come in or some of the conspiracies come in in the sense that a lot of people believe he was sent to Russia as a Russian spy for the American government. And this is why he never surrendered his passport, never surrendered his citizenship, um, and the whole thing was orchestrated by the US government. Now, I'm not sure how much of that I actually believe, but it is definitely a conspiracy that is there. So... Maybe you guys agree with that. Maybe you think he he was innocent. I know there are a lot of Americans out there who think he was a scapegoat for a much bigger uh, plot. Um, and this m sort of leans towards that. You know, it sort of leans towards the fact that he was a scapegoat and he he was there actually trying to to help the Americans, but then fell into a trap of. Um, either knowing too much information or I don't know I'm not sure but anyway that's that's the story that's how he got back into the US 
so the Oswalds now back in Texas, or moved back to Texas, Lee is looking for a job. And he's struggling to find one. He was discharged from the Marines dishonorably, or dishonorable discharge. And in America, that's, I don't know if it's still the case, but in the 1960s, that hanging over you was a big no-no to employers. He was not going to find employment very easily. And any employment that he does find is going to be very meaningless work. It's not going to be the job that he wants to do. Um, he actually ends up blaming John Connolly for this, even though it was his, you know, it's his own fault. But he blames John Connolly because he was the head of the Navy. He was the man who had the ability to wipe this slate clean for him and get rid of the dishonourable discharge. But he doesn't. And this is where Lee puts his complete blame in this man. And he uses his newly found American freedom to purchase a gun. Still very outspoken about JFK and more so after the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, which was obviously the failed attempt to overthrow Fidel Castro. Um, he carried on his Marxist ideas. He carried on the idea that communism was the way forward and that Kennedy was pretty much a terrible president. Um, he wasn't very good. He wasn't fit for purpose. And he went to a party where he met a man named Volkmar Schmidt. Now, Schmidt gave him the idea that potentially it's not all Kennedy's fault. Um, and Kennedy may not be the worst man in the world. But a man who is was ex-US General Edwin Walker. Now, Edwin Walker was forced to retire from the U.S. Army due to being a very, very right-wing fascist. Um, now, obviously, fascism being the complete opposite on the political spectrum to socialism and communism, um, he became public enemy number one for Lee Harvey Oswald. And this is where, like I said, he used his new freedom to purchase a gun, this was now the reason for his new purchase. Now, on the 10th of April, 1963, he used his Second Amendment rifle to take a shot at Edwin Walker's house. He was convinced that he had hit the general or the ex-general and told his wife what he'd done. And he'd actually missed. Um, the shot came through. Uh, through the house um, but didn't actually hit the general obviously at the time Oswald didn't know this um, and believed that he had he had murdered the US the ex-US general within two weeks Lee Oswald had disappeared from Texas he went back to New Orleans and founded a pro Castro group and tried to recruit members he was very outspoken about the Castro regime, and had a lot of praise for it. He then decided that his next move was going to be to defect to Cuba, just like he had with Russia. 
And that was what he wanted to do. He'd made that decision in his life. That was where he was going. And there wasn't really anyone that can stop him. Now, this is where the conspiracies come in about uh, the, the mafia connection to the murder of JFK. Because his whereabouts during this time are very sketchy at best. He already had the connection in New Orleans to the mafia through his uncle that we mentioned earlier. And the connections don't stop there. And this is where the whole story of the mafia having that influence in on him that's where it comes from now there's there's no real proof behind this there's no historical proof behind this obviously he met his uncle while he was back at home but the details of those conversations are are unknown so we don't know whether the mafia had something to do with it or not we do know though that in September 1963, Oswald boarded a bus bound for Mexico City, and this was in an attempt to make his defection to Cuba. Once in Mexico City, there are two stories. One is the official story handed down by the US government, and one is a story a spy named June Cobb. This is the unofficial story. Now, the official story is that he came to Mexico City, went straight to the Cuban embassy, offered his defection, and was refused point blank. He then went to the Russian embassy and tried to defect back to Russia, and again was refused point blank. He then returned to the Cuban embassy, practically begged the Cuban embassy to become part of Cuba, and was again told categorically no. And from that, he then got back on a bus and went back to Dallas. The unofficial report is that he was seen quite regularly at certain parties. Parties that included um, Cuban diplomats, parties that included uh, American, well, we don't know. Americans, I was going to say American civilians, we don't know whether they were civilians or whether they were government officials, we have no idea, but we know that whilst in his time in uh, in Mexico City, he did meet with some Americans. We don't know the ins and outcomes of these stories and what's happened. Officially, he just came back to Dallas. Unofficially, these stories have come out saying that he was overheard talking about killing JFK and taking out the president. Now, obviously, this is September, October 1963, so we are talking very close to the time. Once back in Dallas, he took a job at the Texas School Book Depository, the world-famous now Texas School Book Depository. Later in the month... He actually had his second daughter, she was born, and he then attended a right-wing rally that was held by Edwin Walker, the general that he tried to shoot a few weeks prior to that. Now, weirdly enough, on the 1st of November 1963, the FBI actually came to Oswald's house, uh, well, they came to Marina's house, his wife, 
Um, he was living in a different area. They'd had an argument or a fight or whatever, and, and she was somewhere other than he was. Um, but nonetheless, the FBI on the 1st of November wanted to talk to Lee Harvey Oswald. There was no real information as to why or what they wanted to talk about, but the fact that they wanted to talk to him on the same month that this tragedy happened in America again does scream conspiracy for those who are into their conspiracies again this is where allegedly Oswald became a bit jumpy and a bit scared that he was being looked at um, that the government was was watching him and but in reality we don't know what happened in those meetings or if the FBI ever actually caught up with him and again like I said this is where your conspiracies come in we know he was an excellent marksman we know he was defected to Cuba or or Russia and the stories were very easy to paint him as the bad boy Um, and, and again this is where your conspiracies will say the FBI had a hand in it. The FBI came out, told him what needed to be done, um, and and this is where it, where it went. Um, whether you believe that or not, I personally do not believe that. Um, I'm just this is where that conspiracy of the FBI getting involved in the murder of JFK, and this is where it comes from. Now. November the 19th, 1963, a local newspaper published the motorcade route that President JFK was going to take through Dallas. And it just happened to go right by the book depository that Lee Harvey Oswald was working. He also noted that the man sitting in front of the president would be none other than John Connolly, the man who he blamed for basically his whole life being turned upside down and his discharge from the Marines. So November the 22nd comes round on the sixth floor of the school book depository at 12.29 as the motorcade comes round the corner onto Dealey Plaza. The last coherent words that John F. Kennedy is to hear is from the wife of Governor Connolly saying, Mr. President, you cannot say that Dallas doesn't love you. Then the first gunshot, the shot missed, but they know it's there. The second gunshot goes through the president and hits Governor Connolly, and the third shot happens just a few seconds later. Now, we all know the story. For those of you who don't know the story, go back and listen to the JFK episode. Um, We obviously know what happens from there, but we don't know why. And all the conspiracies happen. And, And the things that happened during the motorcade, the things that happened before and after, um, the, obviously the, the tragedy do lead to conspiracy theories the main one being that obviously the mafia had something to do with it i i don't know whether that's true i'll just run through some of the other little conspiracies 
There is a conspiracy that the FBI had something to do with this, and the evidence for this, or given, is essentially the FBI were looking for him a few days prior to the tragedy, and nothing was done about it. He was not spoken to, he was not, or officially, nothing else was done. Unofficially, we may never know whether he was spoken to, or whether the FBI came up with a plan you can then add to this that if you watch the motorcade as it turns onto Dealey plaza a couple of seconds maybe 10 or 15 seconds before the first shot is fired you can actually see the security detail for the president leave the car now they're walking alongside the car and a couple of seconds like i said before the first shot is fired they are not around the vehicle now, this could be a coincidence, or this could be a pre-planned thing. Obviously, for conspiracy theorists, they'll go, well, they knew. The security detail knew that this was going to happen. Otherwise, why would they have left the side of the car? To a normal person, I would probably suggest that if you watch the footage, the reason the security detail moved was purely the basis that as you turn onto Dealey Plaza, you had the grassy knolls on either side, um, you had the bridge up ahead. There was more people there who wanted to get a glimpse of the president and the security detail would possibly be blocking that view. So they were ordered to take a couple of steps back. That would be my theory on it, but to a conspiracy theorist, this is a, a gold mine. The Mafia link, like I said, is obviously quite poignant with the fact that he had links to the Mafia and he disappeared for two weeks in New Orleans without knowing what happened. Nobody knows the details of what happened during that time. Uh, there are other theories. I believe there was a theory that uh, Lyndon Johnson, the man who was to take the reins should anything happen, there was a conspiracy that he possibly had something to do with it. Again, I'm not 100% sure on that one. And I did read a little story that suggested that Israel possibly had a hand to play in this. Now, the, the story goes that uh, JFK actually had a letter on his desk in the White House, in the Oval Office, that he was about to sign that was to ban Israel from producing and manufacturing nuclear weapons. And obviously, as we know, Israel is now a, a nuclear power in the world. Um, and JFK didn't want that to happen. Now, is that reasonable for a theory that to suggest that they had something to do with it? I don't know. I think planning something like that by using a man who'd never been to Israel, who'd never... It, it just doesn't... To me, that's completely whack-out-there theory that doesn't have any real credence. If you do think it has credence, let me know why, because I'd be interested to find out if people actually do do believe that particular story. As like I said, I to me, that one's so far out of left field, I, I can't buy it. The the conspiracy saying that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't didn't take the shot, um, that the bullet physically couldn't have gone through JFK, 
the way it did and then ricocheted into Governor Connolly. Um, these have all been proven to be complete BS. Uh, these have been proven by... Uh, there's a, a TV show called Mythbusters. Um, whether you believe or disbelieve Mythbusters is, is entirely up to you. But to me personally, I think they conclusively proved that the shot came from that book depository. Maybe Oswald didn't have the greatest marksmanship in the world. And there, the other story goes with how can a man, even with expert marksmanship, hit a moving vehicle that accurately well he was a good marksman there's no denying that and from what I've seen that motorcade went straight it wasn't traveling very fast the first shot missed the second shot hit and the third shot hit now after the first shot you can visibly see the vehicle speed up but Dealey Plaza is a straight road. Now, had that car decided to zigzag its way out, then potentially that second and third shot wouldn't have hit. But obviously the driver puts his foot to the floor and drives in a straight line. Now, I'm no marksman, but I know that by just moving a rifle up a couple of inches to differentiate for a couple of meters is is quite easy to do trying to catch a vehicle that's zigzagging to get an accurate shot is virtually impossible so the vehicle the driver did not do what i would have suggested to do in that situation and he drove dead straight which meant that the shot was a lot easier for oswald to take whether you believe that Oswald took that shot or whether you don't, um, that is, you know, personal opinion. I I believe conclusively that Oswald took that shot. My personal opinion, I don't believe any of these conspiracy theories. I genuinely believe the story that he was hell-bent on destroying Western democracy. He went to the Soviet Union, he decided that communism and socialism was the way he wanted to go, and JFK was the man who stood in his way. Um, I believe that the fact that Governor Connolly was also in the vehicle gave him another reason to attempt that shot. The following day was, as I'm sure you can imagine, eerily quiet. Uh, around Texas and probably the rest of the United States. It was a day where I don't think anyone really processed what had just happened. You know, the, the president had just been killed. Uh, it was the first successful assassination in 62 years. Um, it was, you know, it was massive. It was, you know, it was shocking. And like I said, majority of the people alive today who were alive then will remember exactly where they were when they heard the following day the 24th of november was the last day that lee harvey oswald was alive on this planet whilst being transferred from his prison cell he met the end of a pistol owned by a man named Jack Ruby. 
and Jack Ruby pushed through the crowd and killed him there and then. You can see the video for it. There is videos of Lee Harvey Oswald uh, being shot, and there is many pictures that circulated for years and years after, because this was in front of the world's press. Um, and as he, he did that, he was heard to have shouted, you guys couldn't do it, I did it for you, and I had to show the world that a Jew had guts. These were quotes from Jack Ruby, and he ended the life of Lee Harvey Oswald on the 24th of November. Now, again, this does feed into the conspiracy theories, because Lee never met trial. He never had an interview. He never spoke to the FBI or the CIA or any law enforcement. He was arrested, sent to prison, or sent to jail. Nobody spoke to him. The day that he was due to be moved to be interviewed, he was murdered. Now, many would say that's justice, and I would probably agree with that. But it does bode the question that we don't know what he had to say at interview stages. And whether you try and justify, I don't think anyone can justify murder, um, but you may believe that he he wasn't 100% behind it. Um, I've got to tread carefully here, but I, I would say there is the potential that there was outside influence to this murder um, or assassination, and, and we will never know what they what the motive was, uh, what the well anything really we don't know, and that's why it's one of the greatest conspiracy theories of all time because there are so many options to what happened, and we really we really aren't a hundred percent sure that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone as a lone gunman with left-wing ideologies wanting to take down a Western democratic society with a rifle and three shots. Believe what you want. Um, I personally, I don't believe he acted alone. I do believe there is some form of outside influence, um, whether that comes from the Russians, the Cubans, the Mafia, the FBI, or whatever. I believe there was some form of outside influence. I don't believe that one man thinks that one bullet is going to change the world. Um, I think there was an ulterior motive. I don't know what it was. And perhaps we'll never know what it was. And that's what makes this such an interesting story but what we do know is that November the 22nd 1963 America lost probably one of their most charismatic presidents they've ever had and it did change the world it was a shot that shocked most countries in the world it wasn't something that we're used to seeing and yeah for like I said for those of you who were alive at the time it it was a, a shocking 
event that will will live in history forever. And the man responsible for that, I'm not sure many people know his his story. So that's why I thought I would grace you all with the story of probably the world's most famous assassin. And that is the story of Lee Harvey Oswald. So I hope you guys have enjoyed that episode. It was um, an, a fun one for me to learn because, like I said, when I did the JFK episode, I tried to steer away from Lee Oswald because I wasn't, I, I didn't want to focus on him. Um, and like I said, uh, there was enough detail of him to create his own episode. So I hope you guys have enjoyed that, like I said, and let me know what you think. I want everyone who's listened to this if you're on the Facebook group, if you've got our email address, twihpod at gmail.com, if you're not on the Facebook group, get on the Facebook group. I want to know, what do you think? Do you think that this was an inside job? Do you think that the Mafia had something to do with it? Or do you think that Lee Harvey Oswald was just a left-wing nutter? Let me know. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember... We all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.